Kitty Green is an award-winning Australian filmmaker. Her debut documentary feature, Ukraine is Not a Brothel, explored a provocative feminist movement in Ukraine. After making its premiere at the Venice Film Festival, the film screened at more than 50 film festivals internationally and won the Australian Academy of Cinema and Television Arts Award for Best Feature-Length Documentary. The follow-up project, The Face of Ukraine, casting Oksana Bayul, won the short film jury prize for nonfiction at the Sundance Film Festival. Uh, the next film, Casting Jean Benet, was acquired as a Netflix original, and today we're going to talk about The Assistant. Uh, it premiered at Sundance. You must have just gotten back from Sundance. I or, did. Yeah, tell me a little bit about that. I, that's the one film festival I've never done. Oh, really? It, well, I just thought it was about skiing more than anything else. <laughs> no, there's no. I didn't do any skiing. <laughs> I had no time for skiing. Um, I didn't see any movies either. I was only there for two and a half days. It, isn't that the kind of irony yeah. of, of going to a film festival <laughs> as a filmmaker is you don't watch movies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it was just, it was a lot of press. We're trying to get pe- the word out about the film, so right. a lot of talking. Well, the movie is called The Assistant, and it is a recreation in the day of the life of Jane, and she is an assistant to a Harvey Weinstein-esque character, uh, a New York City movie mogul, and This movie surprised me in a lot of ways. Um, I loved the film, and I will tell you why I loved the film off the top. I'll I'll, I'll display my bias right from the beginning here. This topic is so fraught, and it is something that could easily have been uh, played out in lurid, big, broad strokes. But instead, you've made a movie that's quiet, that's subtle, We never meet the person who is the abuser. We see and experience the day through Jane and the sometimes mundane, sometimes gross things that she has to do that she feels is just part of her everyday, day-to-day world. And then as the crushing weight of that all seems to, to come to a head, there was a scene where she goes to HR that I just found absolutely devastating. It's the most dialogue probably in the entire film, Mm -hmm. and it is devastating. Mm -hmm. And so you've completely subverted what I thought this movie would be Mm -hmm. uh, to begin with. What was your original plan? I mean, I was looking at a lot of the media coverage of the all of the, the, I guess, the rise of the Me Too movement, and a lot of it was centered on the predators. Mm-hmm. And you're right, these kind of sensationalist details. And I really wanted to, to kind of shift the conversation away from that and towards women and how to get more women into the film industry and how to, like, oh, I guess... I was I was kind of shocked. I was I was speaking to a lot of women who weren't being promoted above assistant level, mm-hmm. who were being stripped of their self confidence very early in their careers, and so I, yeah, I, I guess that became the focus. The idea uh, of Jane is that she wants to be a producer. Her job, her her career aspiration is to become a producer, and I guess this is how it works. You work as an assistant for another producer, or often assistants to famous movie stars go on to become producers and things. It was kind of the hierarchy of how the film business worked. I have a feeling that may change a little bit now in the next little while, but that part of it rung very true to me. I've met a thousand Janes probably, or talk to a thousand Janes on the phone probably over the the course of time. And this film made me wonder how many of those people were bullied out of the business, how many of those people never went beyond answering phones for 
a mogul because they were abused or, or treated poorly. Yeah, there's a lot of that. I spoke to a lot of women who are no longer in the film industry because they had such bad experiences mm-hmm. there, because they saw their male colleagues promoted really quickly and easily, and they didn't see any path forward for themselves mm-hmm. or upward. And so it became, yeah, it was it was, it was was pretty devastating. And I guess after speaking to so many people, I mean, these patterns were emerging and the same stories were coming up again and again, and I, that's sort of where the screenplay developed from. Yeah, so tell me about this because it was originally, from my understanding, meant to be a different film. It was meant to be more of a documentary, I think. And you, you spoke. Uh, you no. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I make very. Uh, I guess I call them hybrid works. Like I, I don't really work in strict documentary ever. But I was working on something that was about. I, I was working on something about consent, essentially, and power structures. And so I started looking at um, college campuses because, I mean, those words are bandied around a lot on those places. Um, And they have, like, I was asking them about the way their institutions talk about these issues. So I went around the U.S. chatting to college students, and then I was at Stanford, I think, chatting to a theater troupe there that um, make theater about sexual assault and sexual Mm -hmm. misconduct when my phone kind of exploded with all of the Weinstein allegations. And I knew a few friends that worked at the Weinstein Company. I I reached out to them. I started chatting to them about kind of what they'd seen and what they'd witnessed. And were they open with you? Because my understanding was that as soon as you walk through that door as an employee, you're you're signing non-disclosure agreements. You're sort of, it's it's built into you, beaten into you almost, that you will not speak about what you see. Yeah, not not everyone was. But I mean, you, you yeah, it's a bit of a mixed bag. But I did, I mean, a lot of the NDAs were lifted pretty quickly. I think it was a few weeks later that right. the NDAs got were lifted. So it was, people did feel free to speak. And so, yeah, a lot of conversations. I kind of expanded out beyond that. I spoke to like people from Miramax who'd worked there in like the 90s. I, I spoke to people in London, in Los Angeles, who worked for studios and agencies and production companies. And I was hearing the same stories again and again. Also, honestly, not also, like also beyond the film industry, I spoke to women in tech and women mm-hmm. in engineering, and they had similar stories too. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, that's where it began. <laughs> it's a remarkable film, as we talked about, because you don't see the abuser in this. Tell me about making that decision, because I think that it would have been a much different film if if there was uh, a face to the voice that we hear on the telephone or the, the figure behind the door that's closed for much of the film. Yeah, I was, I don't know, I was thinking at the time, like, I think bad men have had enough screen time, firstly. I think I wanted to make something that had, that centered women in the narrative. I really didn't want his voice in it at all. I felt like that's not the, we've read so much about what's going on behind that closed door. Like, we know at this point, I think we've sort of read enough. And I wanted, was more interested in what's happening on the other side of that door, on the machinery around a predator like that. And so that, yeah, I guess, I mean, I didn't have him in the first draft at all. There was no mention, like no dialogue, nothing. And then I kind of felt like, as I was drafting it, I felt like you needed a sense of his power over the pe- mm-hmm. over the place and everybody in it. Um, so it slowly kind of dripped in and played. Like there's a lot of audio. He makes a lot of phone calls to her. Uh, his body crosses the screen. It's, it's sort of you see him in a shadow in a window. Yeah, it's uh, very later. Very, yeah, like minor kind of appearances, but just just enough to to sort of just tell how kind of. <laughs> disgustingly kind of corrosive, this character. Well, I also think that beyond that, you have all these, I think, really well-placed and interesting moments where we see Jane uh, spritzing 
a sofa at one point and then with gloves on and she's wiping the sofa down. So clearly the casting couch has been in play. There's no real talk about it at that moment. It's just, she's, I think the next scene, she's probably putting paper in the printer and doing whatever. It's just part of the everyday drudgery of a job. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then later there's a meeting in the same room with the couch and someone says, never sit on the couch, Mm. never sit on the couch. And I loved that those two scenes kind of dovetail together in such an interesting way is that we see the the horribleness of this thing that she has to do and then later someone else is joking about it mm. and that it, it, it's a it's a really strong effective moment and one that doesn't need explanation you mm. know exactly what they're talking about uh, just with that one line yeah I wanted to make sure I mean this is it's a film from the point of view of someone with the least power in an organized very powerful organization and she doesn't have all of the information she she could she's got the dots almost but she can't join them so right. that became like dropping these little giving her enough clues to be concerned was important to me but not trying to like overstate anything and I guess she yeah we, we the audience only has the amount of information that she has and that's mm-hmm. very very little so when she does go to HR or when she does try and reach out to people she's quickly kind of shot down because they don't believe she, she knows enough. To... They don't believe that she knows enough. And uh, and I don't think this gives anything away, but the HR person says to her, uh, you have nothing to worry about. You're not his type. Mm, exactly. Which is the most dismissive, <laughs> horrible thing to say about, not just to her, but about the entire situation. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's, but that, that line came up again and again in the coverage of all of that, is all that of right? the Me Too stuff. Yeah. So that was where that was yeah. taken from. I mean, yeah, it is something that, yeah, it's, it's a bizarre line because almost like she should feel like, okay, the fact that she won't be assaulted, yeah, yeah. but it's okay that it goes on like with others. Like, it's very strange. But yeah, he's doing a lot of things in that scene. I think that scene's a good example of gaslighting. He really does make her doubt her own kind of opinions and be, get confused about what she saw. So all of that um, was kind of built into that. It's a 12-page scene, actually. Well, yeah, um, and, it, it, and it's so interesting because it is – the inverse of what happens in a lot of movies. A lot of movies will be very dialogue heavy and then there'll be this scene with nothing, like no dialogue whatsoever or, or a minimal amount of it that is supposed to really grab your attention because it, uh, it's, it's, it's explaining, you know, the, the, the theory of the film or whatever uh, with no dialogue. This movie, uh, because there's been so little dialogue, when they start bantering back and forth and they're both incredible in this scene, mm-hmm. uh, it's so effective. It, it just rocked me. Yeah, well, that's great to know. It was really, I mean, I come from documentary, uh, like I worked with, I hadn't worked with a lot of sort of professional actors in that capacity. And it was really incredible to watch them. They did it again and again and again. Did they? And yeah. it was so good. Every every take was amazing. And there's so much, they kind of mined the material for everything. It was really kind of fabulous to witness. So. It stars Julia Garner. She plays Ruth on Ozark. And that character is uh, loud and brash, Fearless uh, is is someone who I think is is not the complete opposite, but in many ways because I, I don't think uh, that Jane in your film is filled with fear. She goes to HR. She doesn't know what to expect, but she she still does it. But they're much different characters. What was it about Julia Garner that you said, "Ah, oh, she's perfect for Jane"? 
Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, when we were casting, this, firstly, we had a script that had very little dialogue, um, and it was mostly a woman going about her day mm-hmm. at the photocopier making coffee, and I needed someone who had kind of a striking look. I was saying to the casting agent, I remember, like, I want someone infinitely watchable. Right. And, like, Julia's name came up, and I'd seen her in The Americans. I hadn't seen Ozark. Ah, uh, The Americans, But she was right, yeah. very good in The Americans. She immediately, like, she has such presence, and I thought, oof, she'd be great. So we sent her the script. Her and I had a coffee. She sort of she understood the project really right away, and we clicked, and it and it was yeah, it just worked. And she's just I don't know, she's marvelous. I had such a good time working with her. She is really compelling yeah. to watch on screen, even when she's apparently doing nothing. Yeah, you know, exactly. she she's really something. But I I found it kind of heartbreaking. Uh, some of the scenes, and again, this doesn't give anything away. I'll talk around it a little bit, but where she is having to apologize for these slights, these apparent slights that she's made against her boss. Mm. And the look on her face of resignation, of a little bit of humiliation, a little bit of whatever it is as she's typing these emails is is really, really devastating. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was a lot of those... To be honest, like the phone calls with the boss were going to be shot in wide shots, which is why we didn't have a voice for them or didn't script them. But once you get Julia on the set and her face is so expressive that you just want to be really up close with that camera Mm -hmm. and you really can see kind of the wheels turning and like every kind of thought you can kind of see across her face. It's pretty incredible. Well, you see the power struggle. Mm, I mean, I think that that what the film said to me at the, in those moments was that I was watching this young woman sitting here going, this is my big break. This, mm-hmm. by the way, is not dialogue from the film. This <laughs> is what I imagine she's thinking. Yeah. This is my big break. You know, the, I'm in the, the business. I've been here for six months. I'm seeing scripts. We see her collating scripts and things and sneaking a peek at them. I'm seeing scripts. I'm meeting people. This could be good for my career. But, and there's always that but, that goes at the end of that sentence. And I thought that was what those scenes so beautifully portrayed, mm. the the power structure of how this completely unreasonable man uh, is is lording over her. And then he says it to her at one point, you know, I'm tough on you because I think you're really good. And it's just a horrible moment. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty devastating. Um, I don't know. She's just... Uh, I, I could go on about how brilliant she is forever. Because I come from documentary, I've never collaborated with an actor like mm. that. And that was really interesting to have. The two of us kind of had to, we, we had a lot of time in rehearsals to kind of figure out who the character was. And the script is very bare in terms of who she was and what her intentions were and what she was going through. So we really did sit down for a long time and kind of figure out beat by beat where she was emotionally. And we spoke to a lot of assistants and we kind of did a lot of research ourselves. And and that was really great because you end up kind of sharing the character in a way. She's the body and physical presence, but I'm shooting her point of view as the director. So we kind of yeah, we shared Jane in a way, strange way. It was a really spiritual connection. It was bizarre. This is uh, the first film that I can think of. I mean, there's Bombshell and I guess the loudest voice, but that approaches the hashtag Me Too era in a way that, that feels different and really put me in the place of the, the person who is on the firing line of the abuse. And there's different kinds of abuse, which I think the the film makes perfectly clear here. Uh, it's not just all sexual abuse, although that is a part of this story. Mm. But 
in a different avenue. And that I don't think we want to give too much away there. But there are different kinds of abuse that this film um, portrays, all of which, or I, I don't know, you tell me, all of which came out from interviews with, with people that you did. Were there moments that you were just horrified by what people were telling you? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I spoke to people who had, like, physically abusive, like, you know, were things thrown at them and all these kind of kind of crazy stories. But I wasn't really, I mean, when you're interviewing people with who work for powerful people, there's kind of really insane helicopters and briefcases full yep. of money. And yeah. I was never that interested in that stuff. I was more interested in the ordinary than the extraordinary, like the things that could be transferable to any workplace that all women could relate to and identify with. So that that became the goal. But the, what was shocking to me was just how repetitive uh, the, it was and right. how many women felt. Like I was very interested in like gender division of labor. So the idea that like a woman has to get the coffee and has to make the lunches and the boys can sort of sit in on, me, on a meeting. Well, and, the guys always seem to have those headset telephones on. Yeah, yeah. And whenever you you see them, and they're engaged in doing something mm. uh, while she's handing out the sandwiches. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> and you know, I wanted a chicken sandwich. This is turkey. Yeah. And then there's that awkward moment where, um, you know, she has to figure out what to do in that situation. Mm. And it's 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 really uh, – I, I was really taken by how little – on the surface appears to be happening yeah. and yet how deep it is. It is funny how how it, emotional it can be for people considering there is not much going on, but I think we can all identify with these. I guess you call them microaggressions. Mm -hmm. They're not the bigger thing. They're the tiny things that really undercut somebody's confidence. We so, we kind of refer to it as like death by a thousand cuts, right. like all these tiny little moments that can really affect somebody and shake them. And so, yeah, things like the chicken, like being yelled at about the chicken sandwich is like such a simple thing, but it really does rattle someone. And then he says, oh, it's okay, in a way that yeah. means that it's really not okay. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and I do think, you know, something like hashtag me too is such a, a, a giant subject mm. that you kind of need a doorway to walk through to mm. really, I think, feel the weight of it. You need a you need an accessibility point, and I think this film provides that uh, in the character of Jane. You shot this movie in eighteen days. Yeah. So are you just <laughs> at that point going by gut reaction, like you're just your instincts at all times? I mean, little. I it's like you you don't get a lot of coverage, basically. And and we were fortunate. I mean, we had mostly coverage for people that don't know is just that you you don't shoot that much. Yeah, you yeah. don't have like a wide shot and a close up and a yeah. close up. You generally just have the one shot. Yeah. Uh, no, but we also we did get we we got a lot out of that 18 days but it's also um I'd say it's like one mostly one location so we shot most of the film in an office building in Manhattan that we found so that meant we didn't have to move around a lot which did right. save us time like a lot of film crews often move from place to yeah, place yeah yeah and, and it takes forever to set up exactly and, yeah, yeah. yeah so we 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 gained time that way um, and then it was just trying to make it work and within the constraints and we're a low budget film and we've kind of yeah we we somehow pulled it off <laughs> and were there challenges i mean there there must have been some Along the way. Oh, plenty. I mean, every <laughs> film has challenges. I mean, we had a, to be honest, we had a really great crew and it was headed up by women. We had a lot of women on the yeah. crew and that was like really, it was a really supportive environment. Um, and I felt like it was kind of a loving place to work. Like weirdly considering the subject matter, we tried to really create like a very safe space and like warm space to come to mm -hmm. every day. So it, yeah, it was, it was a joy to show up in the morning. And did you make films in Australia? I did. I went to film school. You went to film school yeah. in Australia. 
Is the business different there? I mean, yeah. To be honest, I, I always feel like Australia and Canada are very similar. Yeah, well, they, they, the, the business is smaller. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, there's fewer players, all that. There's government yeah. grants yep. and things yep. there, oh, yeah. so that makes it a lot, it easier, I guess, yep. for somebody to get started. Um, but yeah, I studied. I went to fiction film school, but then fell into documentary because that was the easiest place for me to find work. Right. So it was very. I worked at the ABC, our Australian BBC, and sort of did my time as an assistant there. Yep. Uh, so Any stories. <laughs> I, I mean, mean, it was a pretty. But, but was there was there ever a sense that you had that I don't feel safe or I don't feel comfortable or I, I was in a department headed up by women, very kind, supportive right. women. But I was uh, in in the post production facility, so I was pressing record on tapes. It was very <laughs> mundane. Like I know about the kind yeah, of yeah. the banality of kind yeah. of Jane's world. So yeah. And 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 you fell into documentary filmmaking because you get jobs there. Yeah, I mean, this is the way of our life lived in the arts, right? Exactly. I mean, that's the easiest way. But also, like, who's going to employ a like twenty-one-year-old <laughs> woman to direct features? You know, so it just you do kind of make your way up, however you can find that path. And that for me, yeah, I just started making docs there. And then I, my, I have family in Ukraine, so I moved to Ukraine and made documentaries in mm-hmm. Ukraine for a couple of years, which was. Probably the best, best in times, worst of times. Yeah, yeah. Um, what was that like? Tell me a little bit about that. It was amazing. It was pre the conflict, and then I actually went back after the conflict to make a short because I felt like I had to address something that went on there. But I, I just had an incredible time. I worked with a topless feminist movement who were just, it was chaos and fabulous, and they would just protest on the streets. It was kind of, uh, they were sort of pre Pussy Riot, right. but similar kind of. Um, Similar movement. Yeah. Uh, and so that was, yeah, it was, I got arrested eight times. It was wild. Uh, yeah. It was, have you been to jail? I have. I've been really? to, I've been to the Belarusian KGB jail. It's still, they still have the KGB in Belarus. And, wow. Now that I know that you've been in jail in Ukraine, uh, <laughs> what, uh, what goes through your mind as that's happening? So you're part of a protest or a political protest uh, in North America, in Australia. You're likely not to get arrested as part of a protest. It could happen if you break a window or something like that. There, I imagine it's a little different. Yeah, I didn't. I got arrested a few times, but it was a bit of a joke in Ukraine. It was only when I went to Belarus where they have a stronger kind of the freedom of press is much more kind of controlled. So, like, I felt it was I was arrested for shooting a protest in Belarus oh. and then put in a, ma- a like a mock like what do you call it a like blacked out van uh, and transported to a cell and I went missing for 24 hours essentially and the kind of Australian papers and went crazy. what goes through your mind as that's happening? Oh, You're it's in terrifying. A, it, it's terrifying. It's a great yeah. party story now yeah. but then at the time it was oh god yeah I thought I was gonna die really I was like you know yeah but it's also very boring because you're stuck in right. a room without your phone without anything in a, and it's like all black like you have no idea where you are or how it's, the time sensory is deprivation it? is yeah. part of is part of it probably exactly. though to to give you this sense of unease and terror mm-hmm. uh, they want to intimidate you yeah exactly and they they boy they they did uh, and, and so the australian <laughs> press picked up on this yeah or? definitely and how did your family feel oh, gosh i think they were, I, I don't know I, my mother doesn't talk about it <laughs> <laughs> my father thinks it's cool who knows well yeah, <laughs> yeah. and they're like never go back there. yeah yeah, yeah exactly. Never, ever go back. Oh, Belarus told me never to come back. They said, you're not invited back. I said, okay, that's fine. And you would, if you had the opportunity to make a film, would you sneak back in or or are you done with the blacked out Uh, bands? I'm done with that country. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) it's too much. (laughs) We're talking about 
hashtag me too and a lot, although hashtag me too does not appear in this film the words don't happen i don't think they do anyway well it takes place pre it's, i would it, say yeah. it's it's a period piece essentially but although it's still relevant today yeah. uh, but it is meant to be set pre the the kind of rise of the me too movement when people didn't really have the spaces to talk about or the language to talk right. about what they'd seen or their concerns uh, do you think that these uh, situations have actually lessened do you think that somewhere in New York right now, there's a mogul throwing an ashtray at an assistant oh, still? Oh, I think there still is, yeah, a lot of that going on. But I do think that there are, I think Jane today, if it took place today, Jane would have a would have someone to contact mm-hmm. or someone to hear her concerns. I felt like back then there was no structure set up. Like there was no kind of, tw- you couldn't go to Twitter and yeah. find support, you know, so it is. Well, because you would probably never work again. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but also I don't think you'd even know who to reach out to with something like that. So I do think it's changing, but I think it's slow. And I think, you know, we'll have to just wait for kind of, well, uh, honestly, wait is the wrong word. We're actively trying mm-hmm. to change it by making, having these conversations and uh, making films and whatever we can do to kind of highlight the kind of larger systemic problems and not just like, oh, if we get rid of Harvey Weinstein, it's all fixed. It's like, no, it's bigger than that. It's bigger than any one man. Harvey's a figurehead. Yeah. I think that Harvey is probably... Allegedly, I guess we have to say because it's in court. He's allegedly a very bad man mm. uh, who who was maybe the biggest behind the scenes name uh, who was called out on the carpet during the the early days anyway of hashtag Me Too. Uh, but he's certainly not the only one. Mm, definitely. Yeah. And definitely. he's and there's still there's people I work I spoke to who still work for pretty bad people, mm-hmm. and they're they they're afraid to speak up about it. So yeah, I think it's happening everywhere. Yeah, I think that for for a, a long time these stories you would hear about terrible things that would happen and people would dismiss it. Oh, he's a creative genius. Oh, uh, he's 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 not that bad. He's a really nice guy. He mm. sends flowers. Mm. After he throws an ashtray, he sends flowers. Mm. Uh, but do you think and you mentioned earlier that some of the stories came from the tech world and others. But do you think that there's something kind of specific about show business alone, specifically that allows really poor behavior? There's so much money involved. Maybe, but, yeah. yeah. The extent of the money. I think there's a lot of money in finance yeah. as well. I do I think it's just about power, you know. And these people are very powerful people, so they feel like they can get away with everything, but anything. But, like, I don't know. I wouldn't I wouldn't limit it to film for sure because I've heard some horrific stories that weren't from the film industry. Have people that you spoke to, some of the people that you interviewed, uh, have they seen the film and has there been reaction from Not them? everyone, but some of them have. And, like, it's, it's tough for people to watch because it is very – I mean, I feel like it's tough for any, a lot of people to watch. Uh, but I find that often the women are really kind of um, like it's it's difficult. It's different for everybody. But it is I find the men get a little the women are very supportive and the men often get very uncomfortable mm-hmm. by the idea by seeing kind of that behavior reflected on screen because it is it is difficult. It's it's, it's, it's something that's these behaviors that are sort of still in place today, which is this kind of boys club idea that, you know, you can kind of leave the woman out in the office mm-hmm. and think it's not affecting her and really it does get to her. So these kind of – these microaggressions, like I said, are really kind of demonstrated – I think to the audience in a way that I don't think people took them that seriously until they're in the shoes of the person who is experiencing that. So that has been interesting to watch to see how it plays out. What differences have you noticed in the industry since hashtag Me Too and hashtag uh, Times Out uh, movements have, have launched? 
I uh, it's I do think things are changing. A lot of my friends are women and filmmakers, and I do think they're getting opportunities that they weren't getting before. I think mm-hmm. people are are listening to us now more than what they did. I think there, if you see something, something or experience misconduct, you do have you can speak up about it. I think that's a huge shift. But yeah, a lot of things are still the same. I think a lot of I think change is slow, and I think I guess yeah, the more conversations we can have like this, the better. By by conversations like this, do you mean the film? No, well, yeah, but about the, the issues in the film, mm-hmm. about about gendered work environments, about the way women are treated versus the way men are treated, about trying to equalize, make make workplaces more safe and fair and equitable. Um, those conversations are important. There's something about Julia Garner's performance here too. She, I've never met her. But she appears to be a small woman. Mm-hmm. And and there was there's a scene where you see her in a full shot, so head to toe in a full shot, and she's wearing these little pants that are uh fashionable but short on her. And 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 her socks don't quite come up, and maybe this is just I don't, her socks don't quite come up to the to the hem of her pants. And I just thought she looked so vulnerable in that moment. Mm-hmm. There was something to me that I found heartbreaking about that one shot of her. Wow. That she was it's just this frail looking, not personality wise, but I guess this frail looking person who just seemed beaten down at that moment. Yeah, I mean it's a tough she's five weeks into the job and I think she's understood understands at that point that I don't think she that her the dreams and kind of everything she came into this job with mm-hmm. aren't a reality and she can't see a way for her to even kind of keep going to almost. move forward and yeah definitely move forward so it was yeah I mean she she talks about it well and she explains that kind of the subject is is so kind of loud and big and she felt so small within mm-hmm. it and and so that yeah small's a word she threw around a lot yeah it it, it, it felt it there's that one particular image that I just have stuck in my head mm. that, that I, I found really, I, I love moments in movies where there is no dialogue, where there's nothing mm. being told to you, uh, and yet you get a sense of the enormity of something. It's the mm. show me, don't tell me idea of making a movie. And this film is uh, filled with those moments mm. that you can really get under the skin of the character, even though she's not saying, man, I hate this drudgery, this yeah. work that I'm doing. You you took the time to show it. Yeah, definitely. That was, we, we were always interested in kind of avoiding kind of those big speeches and mm-hmm. things that didn't feel like they fit in and being very sensitive and delicate about the material and about the, the, what we were doing. We were also really interested in, I was very conscious to give kind of all these tasks sort of equal weight. I guess you were talking about that before, but the mm-hmm. idea that like photocopying is given the same kind of prominence as something like scrubbing a couch because yeah. that's her experience. I mean, that's the way her day unfolds and it's sort of just task by task. I've just got to get through it. Um, so yeah, time was really important when we were kind of discussing minimalism. We were kind of going through for a very kind of I don't know, I guess a quiet, and there's a quiet to it all and this kind of culture of silence and the idea that, that these people aren't communicating about what they're seeing or mm-hmm. choosing to look the other way or however they are kind of surviving in that environment is is through a, kind of a lack of communication. So that quiet was essential. So there's basically no music in the film. No, yeah. Lots yeah. of sound, though. We it, did a lot of sound work. To uh, I, I think it's interesting. I, I don't think that people really often understand that when you're creating something like this, it is the uh, result 
are probably thousands of little decisions that mm-hmm. go along all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you, for instance, make the decision not to have music or I, to have very I little music? I never wanted it. It's a film about work and it's yeah. a film that's very – I wanted it to be an authentic experience of being – of someone of, – of somebody in that position. Right. Um, so immediately, I mean, we got Leslie Schatz, who's this incredible sound designer. He did all of Gus Van Sant's films, like oh, Elephant, wow. yeah, like yeah. really beautiful sound design. So we were looking at really creating this world of like fluorescent lights, like the hums and buzzes of the printer and the yeah. kind of everything in an office that feels kind of oppressive. Well, so there's that, a scene where she goes off and turns off the lights. The lights, at the yeah, end, yeah, yeah. And, and the sound design on that is incredible. Yeah. We've all heard this before, but mm-hmm. for some reason that has so much impact. Oh, yeah. That kind of, of claustrophobia, moment, yeah. yeah. And just like, you can build a lot of tension with sound and there's a lot of things you can do. It's sort of musical in itself, like mm-hmm. the way the hums kind of have kind of a musical quality that lends it sort of this kind of eerie vibe. So that was what we spent a lot of time creating. Tell me a little bit about your partnership with the New York Women's Foundation. Oh, yeah. We got them involved during kind of post-production and they watched a cut and we chatted about kind of the issues and themes and they they responded to it because they've they've worked with a lot of – they. I basically support a lot of women organizations, um, including Tarana Burke's Me Too and a bunch of kind of before its rise to fame. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we wanted someone to share. We wanted a profit share to go to women who were actively trying to change things. Um, and so, yeah, 10% of the profits goes to the New York Women's Foundation and they're doing incredible things mm-hmm. to make our workplaces safer. So that's been really an exciting partnership. And, and what kind of work do they do? In, in terms of making uh, the workplace safer, is there something tangible that we can uh, – do they have – Oh, d- they support a number of different indivi- in organizations that right. all work towards those same goals. Right. But it is it is like specifically looking – most prominently looking at women of color and like trying to increase sort of – I guess like – Increase wages, equality, trying to Safety, combat sexual harassment. and sex- Yeah, so definitely there's a lot of – there's kind of an umbrella for a lot of different organizations. It's tough to go into the details. There's a lot going on. And now that the film has premiered at Sundance, uh, how do you feel? The film is out in the world. It's been well-received. Yeah. It is a conversation starter on, on lots of ways. How does it feel now that it's done? I mean, uh, how long did you work on this? Is this something that was years in the making? I mean, not that long. A couple of years. Not not. Really in, which in film years isn't that long. Isn't that yeah. long, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it is, I'm, it's, it's just, it's really, it's such a delicate subject that it's never, you can never really like, Celebrate, you know, it's something that I, we're always just conscious of trying to make sure our message is the correct one. That we're being kind of conscious of everyone who is involved in things like this and trying to be. I don't know. I guess, yeah, we. I've still got a lot to go. Actually, like, there's a lot of press. There's a lot of talks that we have to give. There's a lot of kind of just a lot more conversations we need, that need to be had. So yeah, we're so still it doesn't in the middle. feel Think done of it. yet. No, it doesn't feel done yet. <laughs> no. Are, are you someone like with the Jean Benet film or with the, the documentaries about Ukraine, uh, when they are done and truly done for you, when you're done talking about them, and you're, uh, are they compartmentalized, put away, and you'll revisit on their 20th anniversary and you'll do at the Kitty Green retrospective? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I often just think of, of people who are creative, who are making art and getting out there, the ne- the most exciting thing is the next thing. Yeah. And so you don't really look back and, and think about the other stuff too much. Well, the next thing's kind of what keeps you going because you yeah. always think, well, you know, I can 
and the next one I can do X or Y or change things up. Right. Um, so there is a bit of that. But yeah, I don't know. You, you, you put them away a little bit, to be honest. If you ask me a bit about some of those films, I probably can't remember everything I used to like, all the reasons for being, of you know, like I just. I'll tell you, I've written a bunch of books and people ask me about the, the first, you know, half yeah. dozen of them. I'm like, Ugh. Yeah, exactly. 20 years <laughs> yeah. ago. I don't yeah, remember. Yeah, yeah. I have no idea. Yeah, I should yeah. go back. And, and John Bonet's on Netflix. I could watch it anytime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Watch it on the plane. Yeah. You know, something like that. Um, let's talk about uh, some of your uh, contemporaries, some people, female directors that are making films right now uh, that you admire and that people should check out. Huh. Interesting. And to, like that are films that are out right now? Or, or that you could watch on Netflix or just films that you admire that were made by women. Well, I, I mean, I was, because I'm Australian, I was, I was fortunate enough to work for or almost be an assistant to Jane Campion for a while. Wow. So I had a bizarre job where I basically kind of bought her ice cream and hung out with her. <laughs> it was amazing. Um, and I am such a fan. So yeah. I, I like Top of the Lake and everything that she's been doing. And I mean, The Piano is one of the best films yeah. of all time. So, And I also just think she's phenomenal and she's been very supportive of me. So I've been very fortunate to have that kind of relationship. And, and you talk about uh, being supportive. What did you learn from her, do you think? If there was something you could so say. So much. I, th- this is the thing that I learned. Uh, I mean, I guess it was a lot about like, when I first met her, I was I was very like I didn't have any confidence, and I'd say you know, but f- fiction films. I was working in docs. I'm like fiction films. There's all those trucks and all that equipment and all those men, <laughs> and she was sort of like. Darling, it's just the camera and the actors. Like, that's what you have to focus on. That's what the director does. Yeah. So just ignore all of the noise. <laughs> uh, and that was really inspiring and great. And I took that on, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that really helped. I mean, but, yeah, she's just a phenomenal and brilliant. So just, yeah, I often, I'm very fortunate that I can email her with questions and she'll respond to me. Wow. I'm in a privileged position there. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And and uh, are you working on something right now that we need to know about other than the press and promotion of The Assistant? Oh, no. I'm doing my own little thing, but it's sort of like very you – know, I don't know what it is yet. It's one of those right. – you know, It's gestating. Right yeah, now. exactly. It's in that form. So I went, when this is all over, I'll sit down and kind of figure – nut it out. But. It is hard. I, I, I think people don't understand what it's like to – to have a film out in the world. Mm. Your job is not done when you say, that's a wrap, everybody. Yeah. Uh, now it's months of talking about it, oh, doing this. Yeah, it's, I mean, this is fine. There's a lot of like, like photos and public speaking, all the things I hate, you know, like combined in one kind of month. It's really terrible. But yeah, when it's when it's done, I'll, I'll actually kind of sit down and enjoy myself at my desk. Well, I hope this hasn't been too onerous for no, you. No, it's but, great. <laughs> thank thank you. you so much, Kitty. What oh, a pleasure to see you. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank the you. film is called The Assistant. Uh, it is a recreation of a day in the life of Jane, an assistant uh, to a movie mogul in New York City. Uh, this is a terrific film that I think really shines a light and helps uh, the conversation about Me Too move forward. Kitty Green has been my guest. My thanks to you. My thanks to you as always for listening, and we'll talk again next week.